Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we talk about how habits build you and then how you can build habits. My name is Jeff Bruce. I'm talking once again with the distinguished professor of <laughs> habitology, John Bruce, who also happens to be my dad. Dad, how are you today? As a habit, I am fine. As a habit. <laughs> I do it fine. You've built the habit of fineness <laughs> into your life. That's very impressive. In her book, Grit, Angela Duckworth says that enthusiasm is common, endurance is rare. And this podcast is really focused on translating our enthusiasm about Jesus into endurance in following Jesus. Uh, we want to help you see real change in your spiritual growth, something that Eugene Peterson called the long obedience in the same direction. That's what we're after here. And if you want to cultivate endurance in anything, you need a system of habits. You need structures in your life to live out your identity. And the same is true for following Jesus. You have to cultivate the habits, the disciplines of a Jesus follower. That is what we're going to focus on in this eight-week series. So uh, last time, Dad, we talked about the unique season we're in right now and how a lot of our established structures and habits got blown up by COVID-19. And whenever our external structures get blown up, it reveals whether we actually have internal structures. Right. Uh, are there internal habits that do not change with our circumstances? So right now, a lot of us are feeling a need for structure and routine, and, and that's why we're using this opportunity to talk about how do you build those structures and routines. So uh, you're a big fan of structure and routine. Is that right, Dad? We confirm yeah, I, that? I need it. Yep. <laughs> so you, you shared a little bit in our, in our last uh, and inaugural podcast uh, um, just about how you came to get excited about habits and really the essential role of habits in the Christian life. And, and in case you're wondering, listeners, we're using James Clear's definition of habits, just to remind you, a habit is that small decision you make and these small actions you perform every day. Uh, a simple way to say that is habits are the actions we repeat. They are the simple actions we repeat to cultivate uh the character that we want to see cultivated in our lives. So we talked about this last time, the need for habits, the need for habituating all sorts of behaviors uh, so that we can become more skillful at them. And we, then we talked a little bit about how this is often the missing component uh, when Christians talk about transformation, is this discussion of habits. And so we talked a little bit about right doctrine and about having heads that grasp the truth of God, and that is critical. We have to have right doctrine if we want to change. We talked about having hearts filled with love for the Lord Jesus, and that's true. If you don't have a heart that really has received Christ's love and loves him back, you won't have the fuel to change. So you need a head with right doctrine. You need a heart with affections for Jesus. But then there's this third component of change in the Christian life, and sometimes Christians fail to mention it, and that's our hands. You need a head, you need hearts, but then hands, and hands has to do with the habits and routines we actually build to conform us to the image of Christ. We talked about that last time, this need for information, inspiration, but finally the third step, and often the missing step, is implementation, um, translating that correct knowledge and those right affections into action. So we talked a little bit about effort is not a four-letter word for Christians. Uh, it's actually a six-letter word for Christians and for everyone else. Uh, but that growing in Christ does require effort. It requires the cultivation of habits. So today, Dad, with that very long intro out of the way, um, 
I thought it would be good for us to do a deep dive on habits and change. And, and to do that as Christians, we're talking in more depth about God's role in the transformation process and then our role in that process. How does God make us like Jesus? How do we cooperate with God to become like Jesus? And hopefully this will give us some categories to kind of clarify our discussion. So, Dad, the best place to start, I think, when we talk about change for Christians is what changed the minute that you became a Christian. So, Dad, according to the Bible, what happens when you become a Christian? Well, I, I, as uh I think it was Gabriel who said to Mary, you shall name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And I think you cannot separate salvation from being delivered from sins. And so what happens when we become Christians is, first of all, we are delivered from the penalty of our sins. And, of course, the biblical word for that is justification, that, that Christ's righteousness, his perfect record of obedience and faith to God, living the life that that we were created to live but failed to live, all that is credited to us. And so from the moment Christ comes into my life, God sees me clothed in Christ's righteousness, holy, blameless, and pure. And so there's nothing I can do to improve that standing before God because Christ has achieved it all. Also, I am adopted into God's family. I moved from a a member of Adam's fallen race to now a citizen of heaven, a a son uh, or daughter of God, uh, a brother of Jesus with God as my father. And I begin a process of sanctification where what I am in God's sight and positionally in Christ now becomes experienced, my experience, and I become more and more like Jesus. And while justification and adoption are are Mm one-time instantaneous events that that occur, sanctification is is a process that that is made possible by justification and adoption, but it stretches out throughout my lifetime. So I, I would I would uh, for again back to Romans six. Paul Paul asks after he talks about being justified by faith, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that? grace might increase. If God has already forgiven all of my sins, why not continue to sin? And and Paul explains that if you believe that, you don't really understand salvation. Right. Uh, how shall we who have died to sin still live in it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul doesn't say we shouldn't continue to live in sin because it would be wrong, though it would, mm-hmm. or because it will ruin our lives, even though it would, but because of what's already happened to us, that we have died to sin, that something radical has, has happened in my past relationship with, with sin. And Paul goes on to explain that when Christ comes into our lives, all that is true of him becomes true of us, right. that we experience instantly his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that the old me dies and a new me is born. Uh, I couldn't become a new creature unless something happened to the old creature. Right. I can't be born again unless something happened to the guy who was born the first time. Yeah. And, and so... We begin by becoming new people, and sanctification is really learning how to live consistently with who I am right. from from birth. So God, it's, it's like God makes us natural athletes, mm-hmm. but you still have to go out and practice and learn how to play the game. And that's what sanctification right. is, is learning how to live like like Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's good. I, I think maybe some metaphors to, to help conceptualize this for people. Justification is God's action as a judge. So that is God um, seeing you in Christ and then 
the gavel falls and it's not guilty, acquitted, innocent, because I see you in my son. And it's important for people to understand that's a declaration and it's a legal declaration. Right. So that's your status now. Your legal status in Christ is forgiven, accepted. And it's important for people to understand that doesn't change. Right. That is who you are in Christ. And so even as your obedience ebbs and flows, your status is totally secure in Christ. You are beloved. You are innocent in him. Um, and adoption in the same way, it's God's action as a father. It's God saying, I will make this decision. And it's a, it's a one-time decision that creates a state, and the state is you are now God's beloved child, yeah, and that's that's, that's who you are. Um, one aspect I think that we didn't mention is then regeneration, right? And, and that gets to dying and rising with Christ. Right. Uh, this idea of rebirth, and that that would be God's work as a surgeon. That mm -hmm. that the minute you become a Christian, um, God, as a judge, makes a declaration, as a father, adopts you. But then surgery is that God takes out, as Ezekiel 36 says, that heart of stone that was resistant to God, and he puts the nature of Christ actually within you. He gives you a heart of flesh that's responsive to his commandments. So now you have these new internal desires that are the desires of Christ himself. And by the Spirit of God, you are made into this new person who actually wants to obey. Right. Which is why Christians can't just keep sinning and be happy about it. That's right. God screws up your life forever <laughs> once you become a Christian. You just can't, you can't um, not be miserable right. in, in your sin. And so you've got justification, you've got adoption, you've got regeneration. So a pretty incredible, I mean, it's the, the most incredible thing <laughs> happens then. So you're a new person on the inside. Okay, so if all that's true, if God's delivered me from the penalty of sin, justification, if he's actually given me a nature that delivers me from the power of sin, that's regeneration. Um, man, it really seems like I should be batting a thousand in my Christian life. Right. 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 <laughs> like that, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Like he gives me all of this. So now I'm just going to go out and conquer sin and it's going to be effortless, but it's not. Right. It's you just keep sinning the same old sins as a Christian, and so you wonder why. Well, if God has done all of this, if all this change has come about, why am I not changing? So that gets to the question, Dad, I think, of what doesn't change the minute I become a Christian? Good question. Um, by the way, I like I like the, your analogy of God as a surgeon, and I, I thought of the verse where it says, by his wounds we are healed, hmm. and I think that's what it means. It's not talking about physical healing there. It's talking about being healed of our sin. Um, but anyway, what doesn't change? Sin doesn't die. Sin is still alive and well. Uh, right. Paul, Paul says in Romans 6.12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. So sin is still trying to rule over me, still trying to reign. And the place it tries to reign is in my mortal body. So my mortal body hasn't changed either. My body is still the same body I've always had when I was a slave to sin. Sin is still running around giving orders. Right. Um, and so what has changed is the person living in the body. Right. My soul, my, the, new, the new creation. And so I'm essentially a new person living in somebody else's body. <laughs> and, and that body has got to be disciplined and trained to live consistently with who that new person is rather than who the person I no longer am. Right. Yeah, I think it's important to see there aren't two yous running around in there. No. <laughs> there's not, there's not the, the good Jeff and the bad Jeff. There's a new Jeff in Christ, but who is living in this embodied state in the present evil age in a fallen world. And, and it's really important for us to 
grasp the the embodiedness of right, this. Right. That when the Bible talks about the flesh, sarks, it's really talking about the the gravitational pull of sin that exists in our fallen bodies. Yeah. It's the members of our body. Yeah. Um, and 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 another, I think, theological term that would be helpful here is the term glorification. Yeah. Because glorification is something that has not happened to us yet, but will. Glorification is the redemption, resurrection of the physical body. Yeah. And, and so there is something, there is a part of salvation that hasn't happened, and that exactly. is it, where our bodies have not been rid of the presence of sin yet. Yeah. Nor has this world been rid of the brokenness of, of sin. And, exactly. And, you, and so, go ahead. No, that's good. No, I was thinking of Romans 8, um, 9 through 11, Paul writes, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. And so essentially what Paul is saying is there, if I'm a Christian, Mm -hmm. I'm a righteous spirit living in a dead body. (laughs) (laughs) But... The, the encouraging thing is the next verse, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Je- Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through a spirit who lives, who indwells you. Now, he will, when we're glorified, he will right. raise our mortal bodies, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. Right. He's talking about giving life to our mortal bodies right now, and that's why the next verse says, so then, brethren, we're under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, uh, for if you're living according to the flesh, you you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Well, that's that's what we're talking about, sanctification. It is by the power of the Spirit. Right. The deeds, the literal deeds there is habits. Yeah. If by, by the Spirit I'm putting to death the habits of my flesh, the old habits I brought in as, from my non-believing days, that's when I experienced life in this life. That's what we're talking about, sanctification. Right, yeah. So, so Paul, really clearly there in Romans 8, says you've got this dead mortal body that's still resistant to the will of God, but you have the Spirit who raised Christ Jesus. I think the idea there is that the resurrection power of Jesus lives in you by the Spirit. Right. So what gave life to Christ's mortal body is in you. Yes. That same power, that same person. And now, as you cooperate, and we'll talk more about that in a second, he gives life to you to conform your dead mortal body to the image of Christ even now. Yeah. And it's by putting to death the deeds of the body. And as you said, that word is, is habits. Yeah, in Greek, it's praxis. Mm-hmm. And so you think of, of practices, routines, habits. That's the idea there, is that our body is filled <laughs> with these habits that are opposed to God. Exactly. And now by the power of the Spirit, we can put them to death. And a way this, this I know we're, we're getting into deep weeds here, but hang with us, because this is really important to understand. The, the way this relates to glorification is glorification, the process of having the redemption of our bodies redeemed, that's the end of sanctification. But the process of becoming like Jesus starts now, and, and often the word glory is used to describe how we're becoming like Jesus now. So 2 Corinthians 3, it says that we're being transformed to the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. And and so there's this sense in in which we're seeing kind of a preview of glorification by living lives in these mortal bodies that look like Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Right. 
Would you say that's a fair estimation yeah, I, of what's I, I going on in the Christian it, life? That's it, exactly. And I, I think it's important to see that he says, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds or the habits of the body, that we are the ones that have to put to death the deeds of the body. Right. We do it by the power the Spirit uh, provides, but God doesn't do that for us. We have to obey. We have yep. to, we have to uh, say no to the flesh. We mm-hmm. have to say no to old habits, say no to what seemed natural to us at one time in order to build new habits. Yeah, and it's a violent process. Yeah. Putting to death the deeds to mortify. Yeah. <laughs> That's the old English word. But yeah. the mortification of the flesh means that we're not coddling or stroking the flesh or even beating up the flesh. We're trying to cut its head off. Exactly. We're, and so it's a deliberate even violent action to cut sin out of our lives, to yeah. make war against those habits. Yeah. And, and so there's nothing passive about what Paul is talking about there. It's, uh, it is a, a vigorous <laughs> right. uh, discipline of, of life to, to mortify our bodies. So all that to say, let's talk a little bit about cooperating with God. We are new people living in these old, decrepit bodies, and yet by the power of the Spirit, (laughs) we can experience Christ's resurrection life now and actually become like Jesus. And that's the good news, folks, (laughs) is that you can experience deliverance from the power of sin in your life now, and that's part of what God has promised in salvation. So, um, we talk about faith, and that we, we are saved by faith, we grow by believing in Jesus. What does that actually mean? How do we cooperate with God, Dad? Well, you have to believe what God says is true. Yeah. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus is the first step in sanctification. I have to believe that I really am dead to sin, not dead to sin's voice, but dead to sin's power, that, that sin can no longer control me. Mm-hmm. And if, until I believe that, it, any self-effort is going to be fruitless. Because I, I'm starting, I, I'm starting from a perspective that I believe that I can never defeat sin. Sin is always going to win the battle. Right. And so, as soon as I feel tempted, I've I've already lost. Right. Rather than expecting a battle, and and saying, "But I've got the victory here. All I have to do is resist it." And yeah. God will give me the strength to say no, no to it. And I like I like the simple analogy of the of the ship uh, going across the sea with the evil captain. Right. And he beats his men and abuses them and stuff. And so the owners of the ship put a new captain on at the next port, and he's just the opposite of the old captain, good, benevolent, kind. And, and But the old captain continues to run around the ship giving orders, even though he no longer has any authority to do so. And some of the sailors obey him out of ignorance. They don't know they don't have to obey him anymore. Right. Most obey him out of habit. They, they, they've always done what he said to do yeah. in the past. Well, in that analogy, the, the ship is our body. Right. The old captain is sin, mm-hmm. and the new captain is Jesus. Yeah. And so my job as a crew member is to recognize who really is in charge here and not and to say no to the old captain, to say, I don't have to obey you. I'm not, I don't care if that's the way I always did it in the past. I don't, here's the way the new captain says to do it. And that's a process of learning how to do that so it becomes more and more natural to obey the new captain rather than to obey the old captain. Yeah, that's good. So... So we, we grow by um, <laughs> believing what is true about us in Christ. That's the foundation. I right. have to believe that I am righteous before God, Right. first of all, right. that I'm, I'm justified. 
And, and the reason that's so important is that if I don't believe that I'm justified, all of my efforts and flailings to grow can actually lead to an incredible amount of resentment against God. Because yeah. if I don't really believe that I'm already accepted, then I will resort to um, believing for acceptance right. that I already have. Right. And you know, Luther said that nothing drove him to hate God like the command to love God. Yeah. Because every day he couldn't do it. Yeah. And he did not yet believe at that point that he was already accepted, that he was justified by faith. That's right. why it's such a critical doctrine. If you don't believe that God already loves you in his son, uh, you will resent God. Yeah. And so, so that's a key part of faith. Adoption goes right along with that, that you are yeah. beloved by God. So you don't yeah. have to prove yourself. You, don't, you can't make God love you, and your efforts will be off if you don't believe those things. Um, and then what you're talking about is you don't believe in regeneration. If you don't believe that I'm already a new person in Christ— you are powerless in the face of sin. Uh, it's like that, what's that uh, phrase, you know, I can withstand anything but temptation. Right. <laughs> that I, uh, the, the minute temptation comes, you will just assume that this is something I have to give into and that I will never be free. Well, you'll, you assume that because I'm being tempted, I've already lost the battle mm -hmm. because a righteous person wouldn't even want to do this mm -hmm. because sin always speaks in the first person. Sin never says, you should do this. Sin always says, I should do this. And right. so we think that desire is coming from within us when it really is just the old master making a suggestion. Yeah, that's where you get into the spiritual warfare component of this, too, that we have an enemy yeah. who, who speaks through our flesh to us, yeah. in a sense, that we have a battle in the mind right. of uh, someone making suggestions all the time. Yeah. No, it remind, what you said reminds me of uh, something I learned as a really new Christian was kind of a cycle that we go through is we sin, and so we feel guilty for sinning, and then we feel frustrated, which leads us to sin again, and mm -hmm. it just becomes a downward cycle. The joy of the Lord is our strength, right. and that's why we have to start at the right place, that I am forgiven, that God loves me, God is on my side, and that I can always, if I, if I sin, I just confess it and move on, and you get a fresh start every time. Yeah, it doesn't define me. Exactly. And, and also that sin is an opportunity to rejoice in God's grace. Yeah. Because when you see your own sinfulness more clearly, you see the depth of God's grace more clearly. Yeah. You love God more dearly. Exactly. You follow him more closely. Exactly. That's the, that's the, 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 the positive cycle exactly. <laughs> of growth in the Christian life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, we can believe all these things, um, but, but then at some point we have to, we're saying... The point of this podcast is we have to develop disciplines, structures, routines that help us stay close to Jesus, and grow deeper in Him. Yeah. So, what if someone said, "Well, I believe all that. Why do I have to? Why do I have to go build structures and habits in my life? That just sounds like legalism. The the, the Christian's favorite L word, legalism, Dad. It's just to, to add all these practices and disciplines. I just believe this stuff, and then I go live. Why do I need disciplines? Well, I say two reasons. One, the nature of faith, and second, human nature. Uh, <laughs> the, the nature of faith is faith without works is dead. Right. Faith is not just having correct opinions. Faith yeah. is acting upon what I really believe. And so if right. I'm not acting on what I believe, the Bible would say, you have no faith. So, yeah. that, so that's, that's one thing. Faith produces actions. Right. No actions, no faith. Right. Um, second of all, we are creatures of habit. Right. That's, that's the way God has made us. And, and so for me to change my life, I must change my habits. And hmm. changing habits takes practice, takes effort. Effort and legalism are not synonymous. 
um, at all. Uh, again, I, I talked about 1 Corinthians 15.10, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace did not prove vain toward me, for I worked harder than anybody. Right. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. There's a tr- Legalism is working from my own strength. Grace is working from God's strength. But either way, I'm working. Right. <laughs> that's, that's good. So, right, so faith is active. Faith, it, it will, a real faith will inevitably produce good works. Yeah. Habits are just the discipline of doing the good works that faith inspires. Yes, exactly. And until we get to that implementation step, faith hasn't actually come to fruition right. in our lives. Faith is just theoretical. It's not real. Right. Until we, we really start to discipline ourselves for godliness, because we believe that, that we can become like Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Exactly. And that God, that's God's intention for us and in I think Christ. One, one other thing I would bring in, um, God has created us with free will. Mm-hmm. And so that sanctification well, is... You're getting into deep weeds now, Dad. Well, <laughs> is, it, is, it is submitting my will to Christ. God mm-hmm. does not make me a robot. Um, mm-hmm. You know what? I He wants my active participation. Mm-hmm. Jesus actively participated with his Father as a human being. Mm-hmm. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. Right. He chose, not my will but yours be done. And the same thing is true for us as we follow him. God will not obey for us because we don't become Christ-like by, with him obeying for us. We have to choose to obey. And that's why the development of habits is, impo- is important because we're just practicing obedience until it becomes more more a practice of life. Yeah, maybe maybe an image that helps with it then is uh, you think about an athlete again. So let's let's use our favorite and most godly athlete as the example, <laughs> Steph Curry. So so Steph, um, he had a lot of natural advantages. He had the nature of a basketball player within him by yeah. being the son of Dell. Yeah. By being in that father-son relationship, he had an incredible natural advantage. Right. Because he had someone who could teach him and walk with him who, who was invested in his success. Right. Great model. Great model, um, this intimate relationship. And right. he actually had the DNA of a basketball player exactly. in him, in exactly. a sense. Um, Steph's actually a big guy <laughs> with yeah. lots of natural athletic ability. Yeah. Um, however, to become who Steph Curry is... He didn't just walk on the court and become that. No. No, he has spent hours and hours and hours making, making three-pointers. Right. He has, spent, he has spent hours and hours and hours in the gym practicing. Yeah. And, and uh, he would not be the player, in spite of all of his advantages, in spite of his DNA, in spite of his physical attributes, his family background, all those things, he has, he has been able to take those things but actually um, develop them through practice. Right. And, and, and an insane amount of practice yeah. to develop mastery exactly. in those areas. And, and so the, the tie-in here is that grace doesn't make active participation unnecessary. Grace is what makes um, this active participation possible. Right. right. It, it's that we have the nature of Christ within us now. <laughs> right. You know, and, and now we are becoming Christ-like, but it requires the cultivation of, of habits. And we have to start with believing that the nature of Christ is really in us right. <laughs> and that Jesus is going to get his way one way or another, that he really has this redemptive purpose yeah. in our life that, that overrides any other purpose that, that we have. Yes. So, good. So, so that's a little bit about faith, habits, moving to implementation. Um, let's just talk quickly 
we're saying effort is not a dirty word. I can imagine a listener saying, yeah, but there are bad kinds of effort, right? I mean, you can you can try for the wrong reasons or, or you can try um, in ways that are actually unhelpful in the Christian life. Um, and so what would you say to that, that? That is effort always good in the Christian life? What kind of effort should we be concerned about? You know, I think just like in the, uh, the secular world, we've got workaholics. Uh, right. In the spiritual world, we can have wrong motives and wrong ways of working too. Right. And uh, for one thing, it's, it's your motivation. Right. Um, if I'm if I'm motiv- if I'm working to be accepted by God. Right. If I'm working to be forgiven. If I'm working to be loved. If I'm working for things that the Bible already tells me I have because of Christ. Right. So I'm not really believing the gospel. That's legalism. Right. That's that's the definition of legalism. Yeah, you're right trying there. to earn God's favor through your works. Exactly. Exactly. That's what. That's the biblical definition of legalism. Right. Yeah. And that is the wrong motive. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> is trying to prove yourself to God. And then secondly, I think I think that what you do, there, you know, there are there are a lot of things that people do. They're just dumb. They're they're wrong things to do. They're wrong ways to do it. You know. Right. And, and you can. You can spend all your time perfecting something that's really a waste of time, right? And, and as Christians, if we start obeying the, the rules of man, the things that aren't in the Bible anywhere, yeah. But, but you know, people devote their their lives to to developing different different rites, different acts, different practices that have no scriptural value. So you're doing that would be wrong effort because yeah. you're, you're wasting your time. Yeah, I think of um so that's wrong motives. You could have wrong information, yeah. I would say. You know what I mean? Yeah. That that and, and this this ties into kind of wrong goals as well in terms of your effort. Like yeah. if you really believe that God wants to give you anything you want <laughs> yeah. and that that's a biblical principle, you can waste a ton of time. Um you know, with just kind of name it and claim it garbage and stuff like that, right. and, and think it's faith and it's discipline, but you are asking God for things He has not promised to give you, right. and 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 that would be another kind of effort that's misguided. But again, it's based on wrong information in right. that case. Right. Yeah, I'd say a few other wrong motives would be there's trying to prove yourself to God, there's trying to prove yourself to others yeah. would be another one. Jesus warns about practicing your righteousness in front of men in Matthew six, yeah. and and you if you are trying to be good to look good in front of others. Um, and I'd say this is probably one of the most common ones for, for Christians. That's, that's a bad motive because yeah. you're not trying to please your father in heaven yeah. um, or you're not responding to his grace toward you. Right. Uh, and again, it's pride. It's rooted in pride, each of right. those. And proving yourself to yourself would be another bad motive, that I just need to do this to show myself that I can be this kind of person. Well, you're trying to justify yourself. Yeah. God's already justified you. Exactly. That's a, that, so, so motives, information, wrong information, wrong motives, those could be bad kinds of effort. Yeah. I would add one more, and, and that is relying on your own strength rather than on the Spirit of God. That, yeah. that it, and this might be a fine line, but Paul mm-hmm. says, Paul says uh, in, in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Paul says, living by faith is living, trusting in the Spirit of Jesus who lives in me to give me the power to, to obey and do the things he wants me to do. So if I completely leave Jesus out of it, <laughs> if it's just a kind of a self, John's self-improvement process, that's not living by faith either. Right, yeah, being the best you you can be right. and developing all these habits 
I would say the telltale signs that you're living in your own strength are, A, you're not listening to Jesus in the Word. Yeah. So, so your, your change isn't orient, oriented around becoming like Christ. Right. That's A. B would be that it's prayerless. Yeah. I that, think that, that, that you are yeah. not you are not drawing near to God to commune with Him and to petition Him for what only He can do because you don't need Him because you don't need Him right the, the, that I would say those are the two telltale signs of doing it in your own strength yeah, that you great. don't need God's guidance and you don't need God's help right. <laughs> in any way so so what we're talking about is legalism and 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 maybe a good way to sum this up I I think one of the best definitions of of legalism I ever heard was was from Ray Stedman. And, and he said that, that Christianity is behavior based upon the commandments of the New Testament, mm-hmm. done in the power of the Holy Spirit, and done for the glory of God. That's and, great. and so if you violate any one of those three, if you're doing things that aren't based on the Bible, that's legalism. Right. If you're doing it in your own strength rather than in the power of the Spirit, that's legalism. And if you're doing it for any other reason than for God's glory, that's legalism. Right. That's great. That's... That's a helpful little rubric to, to check yourself. Yeah. Now, <laughs> here's the thing. My guess is that most Christians don't struggle with legalism in our culture. Right. So, oh, man, our effort is just on the wrong motives. I would say that, that passivity is far more characteristic. Right. That, that we either think growing in Christ is having a spiritual experience that just sort of mystically changes me into a person, or I just need to learn more. Um, but, but we leave out habits, which is why we're having this. But again, to say that effort is not a dirty word, habits are not a dirty word, the Bible talks about both of these things. And yeah. so let's close here by just addressing some objections that come up from people to actually forming habits. And again, what we are talking about, and we'll get into the nuts and bolts of this in future episodes, but what we are talking about is forming routines, forming disciplines that help us to grow as Christ's followers. Just to be clear, I like the way Tim Chester says it in his book, You Can Change. He talks about strategies that reinforce faith and repentance. Right. That's the idea. We want to build strategies into our lives, disciplines, routines, that help us grow in our faith in Jesus and that keep us close to Jesus. That's that's what we're talking about right. here. But I'd say people are reluctant to do this. <laughs> um, a lot of people are. They don't yeah. want to build structures that help us to grow in godliness. So let's talk about some objections. What objections would you say people have Let's just start. What's the first one that comes to your mind? Why people don't want to build habits? I, I think I think people have this premise that anything that doesn't come natural <laughs> is is somehow wrong. Anything yeah. that's not spontaneous, uh, just just doesn't come out. That anything that takes work and effort and discipline and structure that that that's inauthentic somehow. Yeah. And, 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 and we worship authenticity. And by authenticity, we mean what I am naturally is the feels. I, yes. What I should be. <laughs> and of course that leaves out the whole idea of repentance and faith because yeah. repentance means what I am naturally isn't good. I'm going to turn from my and desires. I, and I need to turn from that. Yeah. Um, and I've heard, uh, I've heard Christians talk this way. Um, I, I, I've heard this as sort of a meme that, well, I didn't obey because I just didn't feel like it. Yeah, I, I, it would have been inauthentic for me to obey. Yeah, in this area, and it's like, well, it wouldn't. Have, it would have been unnatural. Yeah, 
but the natural, the flesh is set in opposition to God. Exactly. So, so it's assuming that it's going to feel natural is a faulty assumption. Yeah. Is that there's a war going on inside us? Yeah. And and there's this desires of the spirit. There's the desires of the flesh. There's a, a a theme that runs throughout the book of Proverbs, that wisdom is moderating your desires. Wisdom is controlling your appetites. That if you right. if you let what comes natural to you free, it will ruin your life. Right. You know what I mean. <laughs> and and so uh, you know what what is what comes more natural to be calm or to be agitated? Yeah. Well, in certain cases it, it's more we're more reactive. Before I had kids, it was my natural state to yeah. be calm. Yeah. <laughs> my kids made me an angry person, Dad. I, I'm not naturally an angry person. Exactly, exactly. And so in that case... In the words of Principal Skinner from The Simpsons, it's the children's fault. That's right. Yeah, blame it's it on always, the children. Always. Yeah. And, and so in that case, you have to discipline yourself to be calm. Yeah. Right? Even yeah. Your natural state is agitation. Right. Is it more natural to eat or to fast? Yeah. You know, uh, is it more, more natural to be courageous or to be fearful? Right. Um, is it more more natural to be hardworking or to be lazy? Yeah, you see, and so there's so many things where we just say, in in, in reason, a reasonable person would say, yeah, there's a lot of things that part of me wants feels natural that I can't express because it'll ruin my life. Right, and so and we've already built habits into our lives in those areas exactly. without even knowing it to restrain our desires because they exactly. could go in horrible directions. Exactly. So, that's good. So I'm a spontaneous person. That's that's one objection. Yeah. But we say, well, no, you're not as spontaneous as you think you are. You've actually built a lot of habits in your life and other areas to rein in your desires. Yeah. Um, and, and you have to do the same thing to grow in Christ. Right. What's another objection you think that, that that people might have to this? Well, I think that habits kill freedom. Hmm. Um, the idea that I'm not really free uh, if I if I have rules, if I have... Um, uh, structures that I follow and things like that. When just the opposite is the, is the case. That, How so? That where we're uh, are in the flesh, we're slaves of sin. We're not free at all. Yeah. We're we're slaves of our own desires, of our own fears, of our own weaknesses. Yep. And what these habits do is they free us from what we would would naturally would would naturally do. So, for example, I by nature I'm a procrastinator. Right. Um, and uh, you know, for years, I never put out. I put out nothing but mediocre work. My swimming was mediocre. My music was mediocre. My schoolwork was mediocre, because I would wait till the last minute to to do whatever the assignment was, and and turn in a mediocre result. Yeah. And it wasn't until I became a Christian and really saw what the Bible had to say about the rewards of diligence, right. that I began to to discipline myself to be diligent, to do things before it was due, to do things the best I could do it, that I discovered the joy of, of, of productivity and, and of excellence and things like that. But if I would have stayed with what came natural to me, I would have been a slave to that all my life. Yeah, so, so what you're saying is that there's an assumption built in there that we're free. Yeah, yeah. And in our flesh, the Bible would say, that's ridiculous, yeah. that, that we're free. We're slaves to our passions. Yeah. And if you don't structure your passions into right, um, in, orient them in right directions, they will orient you into all sorts of wrong directions, yeah. and you're going to be pulled back and forth. And we've experienced that. You know, I don't really feel like doing that, and so I don't. Well, you know, you procrastinate, and then you lose the freedom to do all of these things in the future, yeah. and you're a slave to this deadline, and you, you can't. And so, so this idea of, of I'm free apart from the habits is a myth. Yeah. 
you know, a great theologian, Bob Dylan, said, you got to serve somebody. Right. Um, what's, what's, maybe let's do maybe one or two more. What, what's another um, objection to forming habits that you can see for people? I think that habits kill passion. Hmm. And, and that's just another form of uh, uh, spontaneity. That right. unless, unless I just spontaneously do this, right, it's uh, it's not authentic. Yeah, and so if if I if I just am doing it because this is the right thing to do, then I'm I'm passionless, I'm uh, automaton, yeah, uh, uh, a marionette, <laughs> you know, uh, right, that yeah. So I I'm I'm, be- I'm making myself a robot basically exactly. to do things instead of I've I've lost the passion and the love. Yeah. Yeah, and what I would say is really dumb about that objection uh-huh. is you look at people who are really passionate about their craft. Right. They are the people who care the most about building in excellence. Yeah. No one would say, man, Steph really is just not passionate about basketball. You know, Kobe really didn't care yeah. <laughs> about being the best basketball player you could be. They just didn't, they didn't care. You say, no, they cared more than anybody. Well, how do you know? Because they were the first in the gym every day, and they were the last out, and their regimens were insane. Yeah. Um, you think about the best musicians. Um, well, they just had so much passion when they play. Well, that passion fueled a lot of practice. Yeah. And, and doing the same things uh, a ridiculous amount of times to, to develop mastery. Yeah. And, and I would say even that the, that the, uh, that the, pa- that the practice fueled the passion. That, yeah, that, that, that it, it works both ways. Right, that the, the more proficient they became at, at their art or their craft, the more passionate they became about it, which is right. why I think it's kind of foolish to ask junior high students, what are you passionate about? As they, <laughs> as they uh, try to consider a career, they, they don't know. Yeah. They, they don't, they, you've got to practice something and develop it, and then you find out, is, this, is, this, is the rewards of mastering this something that really is worth worth the effort. Right. And we'll talk about this more in a, in a future episode probably, but but one of the things about habits, the reason we do them is because they're satisfying. Right. There's a reward at right. the end of habit that fuels our our passion. Exactly. Um, you know, I know a lot of guys who whether you know it or not, dudes, uh, you have a habit of watching the Niners. And you structure your week around it. You structure ordering food. Yeah, <laughs> there's all of these habits you've built into your life, and the reason is because the reward uh, is hopefully more than fifty percent of the time um, is satisfying of watching the game. Yeah, um, and that's kind of a funny habit because it's disappointing so often, and yet you have this incredible passion for it, and yet there's a habit built up around that's it. That's right. So, so um, habits and passion again are not opposed to each other. No, they one feeds off the other. One feeds off the other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Cool. Well, I think those are good. I think. Um, are there any others that you can think of, or are we? We think we've, I, I we've think covered them all. I think those are probably the typical ones, and it, 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 the foundation of that is that the way I am is is the what is natural, and yeah. and, and that's just not the case. That, yeah. That uh, you can become something different. Yeah. The, sufficiently motivated. The the Christian life is a life by design. Yes. And 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 so we have the nature of Christ within us, but we have um, <laughs> sin dwelling in our members, and so to feed the nature of Christ within us, we have to develop, we have to sow to the Spirit, not to the flesh, like Paul talks about in Galatians 6, and we have to cultivate by design a life that fuels Christ-likeness. Right. That's really what we are talking about here. 
I think it was Don Carson who said um, that no one drifts toward holiness. Mm. Mm, that's good. And he says, apart from grace-driven effort, which we have talked about right. <laughs> this entire podcast, apart from grace-driven effort, we will not see progress in godliness. Yeah. And so we are not going to drift into the to this. Um, now, God's going to get us there, but we want to make the road smoother for you. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and that means um, cooperating with them. And, and so we're going to talk more about that. We've talked a lot about the why here. We'll talk more about the how in podcasts. Does that sound good to you? Good. Great. Let's do it. Well, that's a good place for us to leave off. On behalf of my dad, I am Jeff Bruce. This has been Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church. Hope that this helps you to, by faith, go become the person that God has made you in Christ to be. We'll see you next time.